What if you could simply trust all information on the internet? My name is Sebastian and I'm on the mission to build a trusted web for all of us on planet Earth. An internet where my parents, possibly my future kids and my own generation can find truth and feel safe. Because to save the world, we need to fix the internet. And in the Trusted Web podcast, I embark on a journey with you, my listener and thought leaders, to explore what needs to get done. Joining me today in the Trusted Web podcast is Matt Garmichael. Matt is the Vice President of Editorial and Content Strategy for Ipsos in North America. Ipsos being the world's third largest market research company, operating in 90 markets with over 18,000 professionals working there. In addition of being a VP at Ipsos, he uh, is an author and keynote speaker who reports on trends, futurism, demographics, and their impacts on everything from marketing to product development to urban planning and transit. His first book, Biographics, built upon his work as a data-driven editor at Advertising Age, and he has been awarded top honors for content, design, innovative uses of technology, and, of course, his specialism, content marketing. His work has appeared in more than 100 media outlets globally. And furthermore, and that's super relevant to what we discussed today, Michael was the main author of the global Ipsos report called Trust Misplaced, a report on the future of trust in media. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me, Sebastian. To kick things off, I always start with the same question. It's how would you describe the state of trust in media and journalism today? And might there be trust? How misplaced is that trust? Well, I think this trust is often misplaced. Um, but you know, to the broader question, it's a tough time for media and journalism these days. Um, there are all kinds of different things that are are impacting that. Um, you know, on one hand, you've got all the changes in the attention economy. And you can debate when that started. Um, did that start with the rise of cable news and cable networks? Uh, did that start with the internet? Did it start more with social media? But there are more and more things trying to compete for our attention. And many of those are things that might we might think of as news, but are really more entertainment, or we might think of as news, but are really more misinformation. Um, so there are a lot of different things competing for what used to be a pretty narrow bit of attention that we could go to the sources of news and information we trusted. There weren't that many of them. They provided us a nice view of the world and things moved along from there. And then on the other hand, you've got massive, massive struggles with the business model itself. Uh, there has been an enormous shift, um, and especially in the US. And I will caveat all of this by saying I'm an American and you know how we get, we like to talk about ourselves. Um, so there's this enormous shift in the business model where the dollars that used to go in advertising and subscription to the actual content creators have shifted almost wholly to the platforms and the means that we get that content. So there's this huge disconnect in the funding model. And I think as journalists, and my background is in journalism, um, I think as journalisms, especially since we have that wall between business and editorial, the journalists among us want to fix journalism with journalism. It's that old adage of if you have a hammer 
as your only tool, every problem becomes a nail. So we try and look at this through, we can fix journalism by better journalism. We can do, we can be more transparent. We can be more innovative in our content. And really the problem isn't in journalism. The problem is everything around it. And I think that's a real struggle for media these days. And then one third little thing, which is new this week and also really disconcerting for Americans, but also for the idea of a free press globally is our now very conservative Supreme Court has indicated that they are really open to reviewing some of the challenges to the First Amendment to the Constitution, which protects the free press in the US. And if they are open to limiting the free press at a constitutional level, I think that portends very bad things for us. If we trust and how misplaced it could be, do people actively seek out truth when reading and watching and listening to news and information and media? Yeah. So uh, you referenced in, in the intro that um, last year, Ipsos worked with a group called um, The Trust Project, which is a global consortium of publishers working to create what they call trust markers for trusted news and media content. And those are being used already by social platforms and um, search engines to help surface news from trusted sources. And we worked with them on a kind of lengthy, I think we did about, it was about six months from start to finish, a project that led to two different reports. One was a joint global report um, based on two surveys that Ipsos uh, fielded in about 30 different countries and also working with um, the Trust Project's publishers uh, who are also global in nature. And we did kind of a modified foresight exercise about the things that would impact the future of truth and trust in news. And we did these two surveys related to that, which led to a global report um, called Trust Misplaced that we produced uh, last fall. And in addition to that, we did a deeper dive in the US in the magazine that I edit um, for Ipsos called What the Future. And that looked at kind of more domestic data, but also interviews with some global thought leaders uh, about kind of the future of these things. And we found that, you know, in the survey, we saw that 64% of people, and this varies country to country, of course, have access to news they can trust. The problem is in how they define that and where they place that trust. And there are a number of things that factor into that that I'm sure we'll talk about as we, we continue this conversation. Is that an ongoing uh, collaboration you do with the trust project or was it ready for this report? This was really for this report. Um, but, you know, issues around media, issues around truth and trust and access to information are certainly core to a lot of the work that Ipsos does. Uh, so these are certainly topics that we continue to revisit um, outside of that report. Specifics like uh, our group in the UK, Ipsos Mori, has also done a lot of work in this space. So these are um, topics that we come back to a lot. And in your opinion, is there, uh, has the rise of misinformation and disinformation changed the way that media creates and distributes content? I know you did a lot of research on, on the topic. Yeah, I mean... I would like to say yes, <laughs> and I wish I could say yes. I, I think that the media industry hasn't responded strongly enough or quickly enough. Um, and partially it's just overwhelmed and kind of outgunned, if you will. Um, so with the challenges to our attention, with the challenges to the business model, 
the media has less resources to combat these things. Um, there are certainly promising moves in this direction. I think um, your group is certainly one of them. I think um, the things that the Trust Project are doing are important. I think there are a lot of nonprofits in this space, um, some of whom you've talked to on this podcast, like from Pointer and stuff, who are, are working on these issues. I think there's a lot of attention being placed to them, but I think there's also not enough recognition of how strong this project or problem is. And also, again, the media are not always the ones who are going to solve it. They're going to need a lot of help from technology. They're going to need a lot of help from the search engines. They're going to need a lot of help from governments um, because a lot of this is state level action of misinformation and disinformation. There are a lot of nationalistic bad actors as well. So the idea that your local newsroom is going to solve this global trauma <laughs> is, is um, hopeful, but probably unrealistic. I, I fully agree on what you say, because many say, hey, the media just needs to be held accountable for be, doing better reporting. But a holistic solution is needed. Governments need to be uh, part of the solution, search engines, social media platforms, because, yeah, content discovery, it's, it happens in search and social, mostly not on the, on the publisher platforms themselves. So, yeah. Is there anything you learned for or saw from your data about what the role of government must be or what the role of search engines and social media must be? Well, I mean, we certainly saw that people are seeking out trusted information, but we also see that there are issues of trust between people and government and institutions and platforms and all the things that they used to trust to provide information. And that disconnect really opens the door for misinformation. Because as we see in our data, the people who distrust institutions and distrust authority and distrust expert opinions are therefore going to do their own research, in quotes. And what they're doing is then finding sources that confirm what they already believe. And we all do this in various ways, right? Um, you know, if we want to go to the restaurant, we find all the good reviews of the restaurant. Yeah. So that happens with news and media as well. And because they are putting their trust in not necessarily trustworthy sources, um, that's a problem. <laughs> and that leads to being really open to disinformation. And we can kind of talk about that a little bit more. Um, but you were mentioning transparency, and I think that's a really important topic related to all of this. And I think there are a couple different ways to look at that. So, you know, in, in your manifesto and in, you know, the work that you do, you're very specifically looking at essentially authenticity, right? That the content you see was created at a certain time by a certain person or entity. Yep. And that's very important. And that's important to, again, authenticate the content that you see is the content you think it is. But I think newsrooms have tried to go to transparency more broadly. And when we were putting together the What the Future issue, we spoke to a woman named Rachel Botsman, who's an author. She's in the UK. Um, she is the trust professor at Oxford University. Super fascinating woman. And she talked about how transparency is actually kind of the opposite or the antithesis of trust because it's never going to be full. So newsrooms can try and be transparent. You'll hear a lot of journalism conferences about show your work. 
you want to show the public that they can trust you because you're giving them the information and you're showing them how you got the information. But that's always going to break down because of the fundamental way that journalists do their work. There are going to be points where you can't divulge your sources. You can't talk about where you get the information. You're protecting the safety or the confidentiality of people you're talking to and groups you're supporting and places you're gathering your information and your methods aren't always transparent and cannot be transparent. And that opens the door to trust breaking then because you've said, we're going to tell you everything. Oh, but we can't. And then there's a disconnect. And so when we talk about transparency, I think that's a really important point to make. And if you think about it, like you can put a tracking app on your kid's phone. So you always know where you are. That's not because you trust them. That's because you don't trust them. (laughs) So you have transparency, but there's no trust there at all. And I think journalism runs into that wall a lot. So I'm not sure transparency is the right metric. I really like your metric of more like, I would say authenticity, um, which is super important. And I think as we try and solve some of these problems, that's a great place to be working and a great bit of way to kind of bring the technology and new technologies to bear on what is a huge global phenomenon and problem. Yeah. And um, transparency and accountability or building blocks, being building blocks for trust, or of course you, we, there, I, I love the point that she's making on um, the, the trust professor. I, and I love the metaphor you make with tracking the kids. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. She was a fantastic conversation. One of the uh, four people we interviewed for the, the, what the future issue. Um, and yeah, you know, you think transparency is always the answer and it sounds right. Like it works. Like if you give up and give a Ted talk about transparency, people will be like, yeah. Oh, not any long. Like, Oh, I get it. But it's not going to be the answer for everything. There's so many other factors at play that so many other building blocks as well. And so I think we have to look at that as part of a solution, but it cannot be the whole solution to this problem. Yeah. And, but what, what what do you think of the other part, the authenticity or the, the account, accountability part? Because, of course, an end goal can be that the whole information chain in journalism from the first notes to and all sources are fully transparent. That's not possible because in journalism, there, there are so many reasons to not make everything open. Um, but the the idea that you can hold a sender accountable, that you can see who the publisher of information is, does that make sense to you? Absolutely. Um, one of the people we interviewed in our What the Future Entertainment issue a couple months ago is a guy named Dave Meeker, who's, I've known him for a long time. He's one of the bigger thinkers I know. And the conversation wasn't about this at all. But as just an aside, he was like, well, and of course, eventually, like every way you access the web is, or information is going to have some sort of accountability built into it. Like yeah. your web browser software, just like if you go to a non-secure site now, you get a message, um, you know, your goggles, your glasses, your voice uh, assistant, however you're accessing information just isn't going to give it to you if it doesn't have some sort of signature attached to it. And of course, that will lead to an endless debate about who gets to control those and what trusted content actually means. And there will always be a battle with people trying to forge those things. But I think that's true. Like the technology is going to get us to a point where 
it will help us mediate and understand what we're seeing. Because at the same time that is racing along, the ability to fake everything, and I don't mean fake news in air quotes, I mean actually create synthetic media that can tell us or show us anything it wants to is almost there, if not already there. And that's kind of scary. Yeah, for sure. And um, the idea of limiting the reach of information based on the amount of accountability that has been taken. So there's always freedom of speech, but not necessarily freedom of reach. Is, Is that a relationship you have data on or thoughts on? Yeah, I mean, so people are getting news more or less every day from a lot of sources. Uh, In our data, we say that, you know, like 75% of people say they're getting news and information from TV and social media are kind of the leading media there and almost neck and neck at this point, by the way. Um, But then the story goes south from there. Like that seems like a really good thing, right? (laughs) Like, great. All these people, it's a flourishing of news and media and everybody's getting all this information. However... 67% of people in our global survey, and of course, these results vary from country to country, say that they're typically getting news from sources they don't pay for. Granted, 27% say that they are paying for news they trust. So that's not a bad number. But that two-thirds of people who are getting it from sources they don't pay for, you have to start thinking, okay, so what is the model that's supporting that? Is it advertising? Or is it more of a propaganda site. Because if your model isn't to actually get people news, your model is to provide disinformation, you'll fund that somehow so that it gets to people for free. Yeah. Now, people trust content that they is shared by people they know, but they often trust content that's shared by people they don't know. And again, these are things that are all in our report, um, the actual numbers, and we go country by country through all of them. So Again, we'll start at the top. We're getting news from lots of sources. We're getting news of sources that they don't pay for, but some are paying. People trust this content that's shared by people they know and don't know. People mostly do not believe that they are being targeted by disinformation, including people who are demonstrably in countries where this is factually proven that they are being targeted by disinformation. And people, Two to one, and this is my favorite, um, it's the whole Dunning-Kruger effect of we think we, we overestimate our own abilities. 60% of people believe that they can spot disinformation personally, but they only think 30% of people think that others can um, spot disinformation. So like, we can totally see through all this, but I don't trust the other guy can. Yeah. <laughs> and then finally, wow. the... The last part of this piece, which is really important, which has nothing to do with journalism itself, is globally there's a significant part of the population that are believe in nativist and populist ideas. And those people are the people we were talking about earlier who don't necessarily trust in the experts. And so they are likely to be targeted with disinformation. And there are a lot of them in many different countries. So globally, you know, this is an issue of how we are set up in this perfect storm for disinformation to thrive. 
And that's a huge challenge for all of us. I, I fully agree. And I, I love the, the set of facts that you shared there. And the funny thing for I'm talking to many, many, many publishers on a weekly basis is that um, we see the same on publisher level. So all agree that misinformation or uh, that misinformation is a problem, but not on our platform. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> and that's true. You know, you're talking to, you know, BuzzFeed, you're talking to Quartz, you're talking to reputable news organizations where misinformation isn't that much of a problem. Although their reporting will always have elements of that in it because their sources are misinformed, right? Um, and it also varies country to country. So the way the US is impacted by this is different than the way the UK is impacted by this, is different than the setup in Brazil where trust in media um, is very much tied to which part of the government you think this particular media branch allies with, even more so than in the US where there is polarization like that as well. Um, you know, we talked to the one of the leaders of Ipsos in Spain, and he was talking about how when you're conducting research in Spain, because there are five regional languages, even just the way you greet the person you're talking to, to ask them a question, the way you say good morning, tips which language um, you're native to, and therefore people will build assumptions around whether or not they should trust you based on all of their conceptions around that. Wow. So it's so intricate how all of these things connect. And again, it's kind of a perfect storm for bad actors to come in and mess it up. In the... What do you, uh, how do you see misinformation and disinformation impacting the way that media companies create and distribute content in the years ahead or any advice from the data? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it comes back to ways we can continue to build trust in the media. But I think, again, the media is not the be all end all solution to this problem. It's got to come from around us. Yeah. But the media can help educate people, I think, on what you should look for. The media can help train media literacy. The media can help explain to people that this is a problem and how to recognize it and how to see it. I don't think the media can solve it all themselves, but they can do what the media does well, which is tell the story about what's going on. And you know that's part of what we try and do in market research as well, is help people understand and help marketers and brands and media outlets and governments, you know, we work with all of these groups, um, help them understand what's going on in people, in markets, in society. Um, and so the more we can use the tools available, but we also have to recognize the limitations of that tools. And we have to recognize that help has to come from around us, not just within the media industry itself. Are there governments or tech platforms or search engines that you expect to be front runners in a trustworthy internet? It would be, I, I think they're all working on these issues. Um, I think they're all, <laughs> some of them are working for them, some of them possibly working against them at the government level. Yeah. Um, but I think they are all trying to address and combat this problem in different ways. And I don't know if we need some sort of you know, governing body that can help coordinate these efforts. I don't know if that would even work. <laughs> um, but I, I think they certainly need to kind of, it, it might be helpful to come up with standards. I don't know. But 
I think there's growing recognition of this problem. I don't think we're quite at a point where we really know how to combat it. And it's interesting, you know, when we talked to uh, Ben Page, who heads Ipsos Mori, our group in the UK, he was talking about how, you know, if various forces in the past had had all of the tools we have now, if, um, you know, the Stasi had had this or the KGB had had this during the Cold War, if they had social media and all these tools now, we might be living in a very, very different world. However, we're starting to live in that world now. And the more the platforms, the more the governments, the more the media can all start to work together and the more actual human beings and people realize what a problem this is and start to respond to it, uh, the more we can kind of come together and create some solutions. And then, yeah, let's um, wrap it up because I, I, I want to know if you're hopeful for the, for the rest of this decade, where we're going. And um, yeah, maybe you can do kind of a description of what you expect for the rest of this decade and what are the key factors, uh, factors influencing what the future of trust and truth in media is. Sure. So um, as I said, you know, we worked on this project with the Trust Project, which is uh, headed by a woman named Sally Lerman. And it was great to work with her because she tended to be a little more glass half full. I was a little more glass half empty. I am often the dooming gloom guy when I'm thinking about the future of things. That said, I feel I'm not necessarily hopeful, but I am hopeful that enough recognition can get us to work toward a future we want. Um, As someone who works in foresight, we never want to predict the future. There are certainly good outcomes that are possible. There are very bad outcomes that are possible. And the more we can all kind of come together and work toward those good outcomes, now that I think there's growing recognition that there is a problem with disinformation in the first place, that does give me hope that there is technology coming for us that can help, that there is government interest in solving some of these problems. The media are trying to align to address them. So I will be cautiously optimistic if that is possible. <laughs> wow, if you describe yourself as the glass half empty and that's that's how you will uh, summarize where we are. That's that's a, a hopeful thing at least. Um, you you got to hang on to that. <laughs> where hey, are you going to wind up? Matt, um, thanks so much. I will uh, mention all the uh, episodes from the What the Future uh, that you mentioned in the show notes of this episode. Are there any closing thoughts uh, before we wrap up? Again, you know, I'm trying to keep a positive attitude about these things. I'd like to see us all working together to solve these problems. I'm glad that groups like yours are interested in that and are working the technology. So I'm, I'm going to keep my chin up. And uh, again, thank you for having me. It's been great to uh, talk through all this with you. Matt, thanks so much for being a guest in the Trusted Web podcast. It is well known that today the public trust into media organizations is low. And therefore, we've surveyed a global audience to better understand what publishers can do to increase trust with their audience. We've released these findings in our fresh report called Trust in Publishing 2021. You find the report, the show notes of this episode, and many other valuable resources at thetrustedweb.org/podcast. Once again, 
thetrustedweb.org slash podcast. Thank you for listening and therefore being part of the Trusted Web journey. And let's build the Trusted Web together.